Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to the next episode of JT and the Don. I am the Don Donato Bucci. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember to leave us a five-star review. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, as always, to Nicole Thompson and the awesome intro music from our guy, Mike Regina, and huge Carolina Panthers fan. As I know, he's getting ready for the draft. But it was a fantastic final four this past weekend. So let's get started. Damn, but I don't first, even get an intro. I was gonna say, but first, Jesus, why that was ju- the talk that about was the most jumping. long-winded forget to introduce me slash trying to play it off that I've ever seen. You, you don't ruined, don't, e- don't even introduce me. I'll introduce myself. I'm JT. Ruined. I sometimes co-host a show. Uh, whenever he feels like having me on, I'll come on and, you know, talk for a few minutes. But, yeah, I introed myself. You can roll into whatever it is you wanted to talk about. One, you ruined my 81-episode streak of introducing you. But you know what? That's a streak that I didn't care about because it dealt with you. So I, I didn't really care about the streak. Exactly what so I thought. I, I'm not going to introduce you this episode. So let's just move on. And like I said... Let's get started with last Saturday night's game between Gonzaga and UCLA. Jalen Suggs, JT hit the game-winning bank shot from almost midcourt. However, they would go on to get demolished by Baylor. But let's go back to that Gonzaga-UCLA game. Um, And it got me thinking about JT, both of us, we like to do lists. So, got me to thinking, was it the best college basketball game you have ever seen? Um, And go ahead and rank your top three college hoop games that you've seen. As good as the game was, you can't put it in the top three. Just because it's funny when he hit that shot and he did it the Dwayne way where he jumped up on the scorer's table. It's not like he did it to a packed house in front of fans. He did it to like cardboard cutouts. So what's that got to do with anything? It's just, it's just it just didn't feel. Did the, the game same. change? The game don't change. Buckets yeah, go in. Feel the same. Defense is played. Still a good game. But you're asking me, you want me to rank my top three yeah, college hoops games? Go ahead. All right. So I'm going off of the ones that I've actually seen, not That's, that I've read about somewhere. Right. The, I agree. So no particular order. I mean, I have them ranked, but all right, all right, you we'll don't do need that. to rank them. So we'll go. I'll start with three: uh, George Mason and UConn. That OT in uh, 2006, the Elite Eight. Just that, even that whole George Mason run was good, but I remember that game. That was a good game. You want me to go next? Yeah, you, sure. You Give me a little three. uncoordinated here because you're throwing. See, you threw everything off with the introduction. You didn't let me ease into the show. What's wrong, man? You can't recover? No, I can, re- I, I can recover, but you obviously haven't. I said rank your top three, and then you want me to rank it? You, you, you don't even listen to the question. And the notes are in front of you. Come on. All right. So my number three, I got to go Gonzaga, UCLA. You've got a buzzer beater. You've got a ridiculous shot at the end. You've got an OT game. It's the semifinals. It's a an 11 seed against an undefeated um, Gonzaga team. And JT, this was a game back and forth. A lot of these other games that we see, one team's terrible. ahead. You know, like one team's ahead or maybe just someone's not shooting well. And that's why the, the lower seed is, is hanging with the number one, like, JT, this was back and forth. I mean, UCLA never backed down, and Gonzaga answer all the questions of if they can play a, a close game. Yeah, so, and you've got a lot of profe- I shouldn't say a lot, but you've got you're going to have professionals that play in the NBA come out of this in that game. game. Yeah. yeah, so I've got that. I've got this game at number three. Number three. Yeah, I just don't want to be prisoner of the moment. So number two, uh, twenty sixteen okay national title game, Villanova, <laughs> North Carolina. Talking about buzzer beaters north carolina had the buzzer beater they thought they did 
<laughs> then Nova comes down and hits the shot, right. man. Uh, I don't think I've seen in a title game, like back-to-back, like game winners like yeah. that, like potentially. But I just remember that because that was crazy. I didn't, I thought when North Carolina hit that shot, it was over. Yeah, I've, I've got, uh, I've got that at number two as well. 77-74 Villanova, Chris Jenkins, uh, after Marcus Page tied it with 4.7 seconds left. So, and it was the championship game. What else yeah. do you want? I mean, highest level. Yep. Who you got at number one? All right. So number one is <laughs> totally random, but I just remember this game because it, it, it might was be crazy. the same. It might be the same one. I, it might be the same one. It was crazy when I was watching it, and then when it was done, I was like, "Damn, I've been watching this game for four hours." Mm. And it was Syracuse and UConn. It was in uh, the Big East tournament semifinals. They went to six overtimes in that game. And I'm like, damn, will this game ever end? But you didn't want it to end because they were just playing so good. And I just remember uh, uh, Devendor just taking over that game at the end and uh, getting them the W. But that, to me, that is probably, like, the most the most entertaining, like, hoops game in college that I've actually sat down and watched. You know, the one I had, that's not what I had. I do have a number one, and this is more of a personal game for me. Um, and that's why I put it at number one. I think it was the best game, but it's a little personal for me. I've got the 1999 final Duke losing the UConn 77-74. And I'll tell you why. Like it was UConn against the world. Calhoun had never won one. This was big, mighty Duke, big, bad Duke who hadn't lost since November. Everyone thought they were untouchable. JT, I'm sure you remember these guys. They had Elton Brand, Trajan mm-hmm. Langdon. Uh, Shane Battier, Corey McGetty. I mean, the these guys, are, you know, yeah, they all were taken pretty much in the first, first round. round. Like, like it was ridiculous. But then on the other side, you had a pair of of other great players, Rip Hamilton, Richard Hamilton, who, who went put himself on, to on the, the map. Yep, who went on to the Pistons, Khalid El Amin. They were nine point underdogs going in there, and you know me, I'm not a Duke fan. So when they lost this game, it was it was just awesome. I, I'm not gonna lie because. At that point, they would have had, what, three titles in the 90s, like, and they were going into the 2000s. Then they had Jay Williams. Like, they were just creating something so special. For them to lose this kind of showed, hey, like, teams can now compete with Duke year in and year out. And this was a heavyweight clash. It was a great game. Ricky Moore shut down Trajan Langdon. Like, no, it, it was just it was just a great game between Two great teams. And how can you not love Khalid Elamine? Like, <laughs> he he was, like, the fan favorite because he was the one guy who looked physically like he shouldn't have been on the court, but, like, he could just play. He was like, you know what? If he can get a scholarship, I can play. Like, he looks like the regular guy playing at LA Fitness, but he was, like, the like the engine that made that team go, and, like, everybody loved him. I will say this. As a Pitt fan – in that late 90s era with Khalid Alamine there, not a fan of his. But when he played that night, I was a huge oh, fan Oh, you loved him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we talk about best games. JT, that Gonzaga-UCLA game had that great ending, that moment in time because of the shot right at the end. So is that the best shot or slash ending to a college hoops game ever? Um, and Let's let's rank our top three with that as well. Well, I don't have that on my list. I feel like there's too many other shots that are have more uh, yeah. <laughs> meaning history wise. Right. Uh, but three for me, I'm going back to that uh, 2016 championship game, uh, UNC versus Villanova. Chris Jenkins, like for you to come back and hit a game winner after the shot before should have just took in taken the like the sail out the went out of the sails for them. Like you just don't, and when you somebody hits that, you don't think that you're gonna come back and win. But he came down, hit the three at the top of the key, so and it won them a national title. That's got to be number three. I've got number three. I've got Mario Chalmers. He hit that 2008 title oh, game. Yeah, I remember that. that the three pointer in the 2008 title game against Memphis and Derrick Rose that forced overtime. So JT, I know we see a lot of these shots like, oh my goodness, it was the win, but this was not even the win. This was just to get it to overtime. But guess what? If you miss that shot, it's over. It's over anyway. So, like, it, it's one of those. It's not even a do or die. It's literally, it, it, it's it's a shot that if you miss, you go home. If you make, eh, you get five more minutes to maybe win or lose. 
I will so, say I I wanted to put that on this list. If we had a top five, that would be on there for me. I remember watching that game. I didn't have any dogs in that fight in that game, but like that shot just made me like I was like, oh, you know, I was so excited. I was like, wait a minute, what are you cheering for? These aren't even your teams. But like you're right, it was such a big shot not to win it, but to send it to overtime to give them a chance to win the title. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, who, who do you have at number two? Number two, uh, got to go up my man, Jimmy V, North Carolina State against Houston. Uh, Derek Wittenberg turns that air ball into a putback. And, it, it, and it's historical because, one, you don't see that very often, but then, like, the whole Jimmy V running on the court doesn't know who to, to dap up to, to congratulate. But, yeah, that to me, that's, that's a big, big shot in college, football, college basketball history. Well, number two, I've got I've got Chris uh, Chris Jenkins and and who who made the assist there, JT? Is it your boy uh, <laughs> uh, Archie Diakono? There you go. Got to throw. You only asked because it was some Italian dude. Hey. They, 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 they play at Villanova. They're pretty good. Hey, forget about it. Okay, what's number one? Huh? Uh, it's Leitner, the shot oh. versus Kentucky ninety-two. Oh. Just because, just because of like the. Like, what you think about, like, you were just talking about how, like, everybody wanted to beat Duke. Like, they really wanted to beat – like, they were really a team to beat in 92. So, I think that was a big shot from – throws it half court, catches it, turns around, puts it up. I mean, that is that is what you think about when you think about college basketball. See, I don't agree with that, and I'm going to get to to why – I've got number one. I've got Lorenzo Charles, the putback dunk that you mentioned, NC State in 83. How could it not be? I mean, Derek Widdensburg's shot is nowhere near the hoop. I mean, it's nowhere near the hoop. And they beat Elijah Wan and Drexler in five slam a jam. Like, what else do you want with that ending? Because it's what you said. It's the whole ending, right? You've got Jimmy V running around looking for Widdensburg to hug like, I don't think people realize what happened in the moment at that time. Like, oh my God, did they just win on that? Did he actually score? Do we need to review it? Because they it's didn't close. Have, it's didn't close though, because then. it's close because like that is crazier. But I feel like the Christian Leitner shot just and though me, those are bigger programs and bigger names in that moment, but, like in like in college basketball. See, see, that's why I don't like it. It's because it's Duke. Well, also, and, you and, hate Duke. Well, no. What I'm saying is, it's Duke and Leitner. So if that exact moment, same game, everything, and that was on the front of it, if it was Pitt or the Miami Hurricanes, no, that, that would be like number 20 on the list. They would put all these other shots we talked about in front of it. But because it's Duke and Leitner, it's automatically number one. That was an Elite Eight game. That didn't even get them to the finals. And Mashburn was out. Like, I, I don't understand. And Patino messed up. He should have put a guy on Grant Hill on the inbound. So – if someone was on Grand Hill, he doesn't get a clean pass off. There's too many we, names involved in that situation for you to put a number one. Patino, Leitner, Duke. You just, I get it. I get it. So you were, so you, it's funny. We're talking about Duke. You know, you're talking about Miami Pitt. We're talking about these ACC basketball teams. One team we're not talking about is North Carolina. Um, but Roy Williams decided to retire last week after more than 900 victories and 33 combined years as a head coach at Kansas and UNC. On Monday, longtime assistant and former UNC player Hubert Davis was named head coach. So I want to stick with Williams first. Where does he rank all time amongst college basketball coaches to you? Man, you know, JT, when we were when I was putting this list together after you didn't realize there'd be that many in front of him, did you? No, no. I well, yes, you're right. At first I wanted to say, man, it's really hard to put him top five because you're thinking of all these names. But then when you really when you really sit there and focus, like it, it's hard not to put him in the top five now. I've got wood in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got him too. I mean, you gotta have him. You gotta have Coach K. Got him. He's the all-time wins leader. And then my last three is Dean Smith. Mm-hmm, got him too. And even though it, you don't like him, go ahead and say it. Bobby Knight. Yep, he's in there for me too. <laughs> and there's a couple other names I can throw out there, which I'm sure you'll have Let, one of the names. No, we have all the same ones. And you're, I feel like maybe the last number five might be different. Well, that's what I'm saying. I have a couple other names, but I'm sure you may have taken one of these names. I'm going to put Roy Williams, and this is why. He's number three all-time in wins. And, JT, this is the impressive part. He's only played – he's only coached 33 seasons. 
Coach K, he's got 46 seasons. That's why he's number one. I mean, yes, he wins a lot of games, and that's why he was able to coach. But he's for been in the game a years. long time. Exactly. And everyone else, like that is in that top 10, besides Roy Williams, who's at number three, they've all coached 39 years and like above. And he's got three titles, and he's the only coach to have 400 plus wins at two different schools. That's impressive. All right. UNC had some down years before he got there in 03. And guess what? He won three titles. They had not won between 93 to 2003. And this is the biggest knock against him, which I'll defend him, is the Kansas years. He always choked, couldn't win. He was eventually going to win there. Well, Kansas Bill is Self, a choking program. <laughs> well, Bill Self eventually won. Roy Williams was going to eventually win with that program. It was just a matter of time. So I've yeah. got him number five. You're convincing me, so I'm just going to turn five into like a play-in game between him and uh, Adolph Rupp. So that's where I'm going. Ooh, you're going that. You, you know, I – Because I, I, I had him at number six, and everyone that you mentioned that were the for sure shoe wins, Wooden, Coach K, Bobby Knight, Dean Smith, like they are well-established yeah, and well ahead yeah, of him. Yeah. Man, you know, some other names, Bayheim, John Thompson. Like Thompson doesn't have the the wins, but the way he transformed that program and his he has longevity, the, he has the prestige. I, I mean, that's part of coaching. Beheim, oh, yeah, has sure. got a lot of wins, but again, he's been there forever now. So, like, you know, there, there's a lot of guys. Adolph Rupp, I didn't forget about him. It's, I mean, I'm, and it's we're unfair not, we're to not do knocking this. Roy Williams. I mean, we're, we're yeah. arguing between six and five, right? Right. So I've got Roy Williams in. You don't. You have eight offer up. No, nah, I got him in the playing game. Still, that's the playing game for the okay, five spot. Got it. Got it. But let's go to the guy that's replacing him, Davis. Um, do you think it was the right hire? Also, do you think he'll lead them to a title, let's say, the next five or six years? I love the move. He's a UNC guy. He you learned from that. He learned. Yes, he learned from that. He learned from Roy Williams 10 years in a, as an assistant, played four years under Dean Smith. He was a solid NBA player. And to me, what I like about this move, when you hire a guy like this, he will stay forever at UNC as long as you want him there. Like, where else would he go? Even if he's winning title after title, he's yeah. not leaving you. This is not a stepping stone job for it's a, it's a It's the pinnacle where he would want to be as a right. coach. Right. Unless, unless NBA comes and that's totally different. See, but even then, you think I he would turn it down? Like Coach K has. I'm sure Roy Williams has. Like all of these guys that have built these great programs, they've had to have been approached by NBA teams, but they know better. They see what happened with Patino, Calipari. Brad Stevens is is uh, changing that trend, but they're about to hard. eat him alive, though, if he doesn't start winning. Exactly. Like you, it's but hard. You, know what? you you bring up a good point about like Patino. I think Patino is different from Coach K and Roy Williams, as in Patino, I think is always looking for like the bigger, better deal. Like, where can I enhance myself? I really believe Roy Williams and Coach K stayed in college because they enjoy forging these relationships and like, you know, basically turning these young, young boys into men. Like, I, I think that's what they enjoy about coaching. And you can see that with Roy Williams with like how his former players like talk to him, like, most recently, like uh, Kobe White for the Bulls, like when he showed up to his game, like he was so excited that he was there. Like, I think they really enjoy like the mentorship part of coaching. And that's why the college game is good for them. And I think Hubert Davis is that sort of guy. He falls he, the same way. He, yep, he's been there 10 years. You can see just on the sideline, you can see his relationship with players. And, and in fact, speaking of that, with this hire, the 2021 commits two of their big guys, uh, Dontrez Styles and DeMarco Dunn, they remain committed now. So you're okay. saving the recruits and everything you hear about him. He's a stand-up guy. But to answer the second question, I think, yes, he will get a title in that five to six year range because I do think he'll get it. He'll get them back to that high level. UNC can't stay down too long. They've had their, their ups and downs. Ups and downs. And right, yeah. And right now it's kind of a down, but it's not terrible. It's not terrible. So he can, he can get it turned around. Yeah, I agree with you. I like the higher and, also, I'll take it a step further. Anybody who knows anything about college basketball coaching, they all say he's got he checks all the boxes. He got he has what it takes to be a good coach. Like what you said about him being homegrown UNC guy. So this is a dream scenario for him. So, you know, he's going to give it his all. Also, I'm proud of him. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He's the first black coach in school history. So on basket on the basketball team. So that uh, in itself, I'm rooting for him. Now, will he win a title the next five, six years? I know, like, it seems really rosy right now, but I'm going to say probably not just because 
One, it depends on who they recruit. You already said that they got some big guys staying in-house already because he got the job. They're probably familiar with him, but you already kind of alluded to it. Let's not act like UNC has been a juggernaut the past, let's say, five, six years. Like, they've kind of really disappointed at the end of Roy Williams' tenure. Like, they really haven't, like, been as dominant as you would think they should have been. And I think part of it has been the recruiting. So if they can pick that back up, at least to the level that Duke has been, I think they'll have a chance. But that means that you're saying that he's going to be a better coach than Roy Williams was. So I can't go out on, on a limb that far yet. But um, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe he got one. But I'm not betting any money in Vegas on it. You know, and you, you're you right. You bring up a great point in terms of keeping it in-house and how that you know that's like they needed to do that. Think about Dean Smith, right? Yeah, Dean Smith, after him was Guthridge, who was the assistant to Dean, so they kept it in-house. After Guthridge, they brought in Matt Daughtery, who was a – or Daughtery, sorry, who was a uh, player um, at UNC, so they kept it in-house. Then Roy Williams comes back, they mm-hmm. keep it in-house. Like, that's the way UNC does it. So That's how they keep the culture. So, yeah, even though Hubert Davis has no head coaching experience, like – this was you, the move for UNC. Can you imagine if Michael Jordan came back? Oh, forget about it. I mean, that guys would just be I, – I truly believe guys would just flock there, even if they made oh, him yeah. like an assistant coach. Yeah, I feel like if Jordan was involved in the UNC program, like college basketball would have to shut down because nobody would go anywhere else. I'm sure a lot of guys commit there just because he went there and it's a Jordan brand school. Oh, yeah, and that – they just want the gear. Yeah. Like you just – you want to commit to them because you want, you know you can get all the flash Jordan gear. It, and it's the best gear, right? Like, yes, I know other schools are Jordan brands, but I got to believe UNC gets the most apparel and the best apparel. Well, well, basketball players care about Jordan brands, so they're, they're going to want that. So let's switch over to some football, JT. You know, we can't do a show without football. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers first made history this past season by playing in the Super Bowl on their home field. Now the Bucs, they're making more history this time off the field by being the first defending champions to return all 22 starters from their Super Bowl winning team during the salary cap era. That is crazy. It is, right? Are some guys now valuing a Super Bowl title a little too much over getting paid what they're worth? It's hard to say you know, what's valuable to somebody, but I'm just going to go just overall picture. I got to say yes, because a Super Bowl, yes, like you get every player wants one, it matters, but how many Super Bowls you win only really matters in two situations. One, if you're the quarterback for those teams, and two, if you are a star on like a a game-changing star on that team, or you show up and make an all-time play in one of those Super Bowls. Like, Levante David, if if you if they win two more Super Bowls and he did what he did last year, like nobody's gonna talk about him. So why are you taking pay cuts? You already got one Super Bowl. Why are you taking less money to get two more? Like, what does two more Super Bowls benefit you? Like, I don't understand that. Like, everybody's talking about other guys on defense. Uh, Devin White. They're talking about uh, Shaq Barrett. They're talking about this. The DBs. They're. I mean. David, they know he's an important piece, but they're not talking about him like that. So it depends on who you are. I think this is only quarterbacks should be doing this because winning Super Bowls enhances their legacy. JT, you know, he's going to disagree with me because you, uh, you, 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 listen, are, the, hold you are the Patriots hold, guy that would hold, take the pay cut just to hold, get the rings. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That is the worst attitude I have ever heard. I mean that is awful. What like what are you talking first? <laughs> I got, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to that terrible attitude that just that that thinking right there. But first, you've been talking about this topic for months ever since the Super Bowl ended and free agency hit. Like, are you an agent for these guys? No, because, because that's all you've been talking about. Like, are you losing? Sees, everybody cut? sees Tom Brady and they're like, oh, you know, taking pay cuts is the way to go. But here's what you're not seeing. One, he's married to a supermodel that makes way more than he does. So guess what? When your wife makes more, you can make a little less on your job. Also, two, guess what? Him taking a pay cut is just as much as you would get at your highest value for some position. So it, it's not the same. Like, I feel like when guys are like, yeah, we're all taking a pay cut. Is, is Tom's 
in check the same as yours? I don't think so. It's still more. So first, what's it matter what Tom Brady's or any other player's spouse makes? Okay, one. That's a your big, second, your it's a, second it's about, point. It's about, because all these guys are playing. They want to win games, but they want to support their family, right? Okay, and let me get to that. So Super Bowls and titles and winning games. That's why you play the game. You play to as win Herm the game. Edwards, yes, as yes, Herm Edwards you, said, you, you play to win the game. You don't play. <laughs> you don't play to make money. The money happens to come because you're a really good player. It isn't like you're acting like these guys are are taking pay cuts that are now nine to five jobs that they're making fifty thousand dollars a year. No, nah, but Bro, they're not. Levante, but they're also not maximizing their earning on. power. But that doesn't matter as much. You're still making two years twenty five million if you're Levante David and twenty million guaranteed. Do you know what else he was being offered? Like, if it's two years, thirty million, is it really that big of a deal that it's five million less? Well, in that guys? situation, you're right. We don't know because it oh. seems like he didn't even entertain anybody else. But it seemed like but, they basically signed him after they won the Super Bowl. So he didn't entertain anybody else. Part of it is the grass is not always greener on the other side. These guys realize after going through Jameis Winston. <laughs> To Tom Brady. <laughs> They'll take a pay cut to play with anybody else. <laughs> exactly. They realize how great it is to be a teammate of Tom Brady. Like, he truly I, – I I know we're not inside the locker room. We're not on the team. But it actually does seem like Brady cares about these guys. Yes, it's to help them win. But in he, the professional capacity. Yeah, he wants to build that culture that, hey, we're all here for, for each other. Let's go win, right? And, and another guy, Gronk. He was going there because of Tom Brady. Of course, he's going to take a pay cut or whatever he did. Well, also, day. he was broken down and he didn't play the year before. Exactly. So, like, each situation, my whole point is each situation is different. You're acting like these guys are passing up these contracts that would totally change their lives. Their lives are already changed. Some of these guys have already had a big contract. And if they didn't, they're still making a good bit of money. But to them, you know what's more important? to make enough money to support your family, but to have fun and win. Because what good is that money when you're in week 13, 14, 15, sacrificing your body in your three and 10? JT, none of those guys. I'm I'm great because it's $60 million. He's not playing. But see, that's the difference is he's not playing anymore. And he already got that contract. But you're acting again like these guys are making nothing. Like he's still making two years, $25 million. I had a feeling that we would disagree on this and you were going to make this argument. Very well done. But can I, I'll I'll just, I'll say this and then I'll shut up. It's all fine and well, because like you said, we don't know what's in the players' hearts, what they really value more, wins or money. I will say this. If you're taking a pay cut, playing with Tom Brady to be a team player, all I would say is this. Make sure you're getting everything that you truly want because at the end of the day, when everyone like the the Bucks, everybody came back, they got all 22 stars because some guys sacrificed what they would have got on the open market. Guess what? At the end of the day, when this stuff happens, the only person getting praise for making this happen is Tom Brady. They ain't talking about Levante David taking less to help the team out. No, it's about Brady took a pay cut, everybody came back to play with him. So Keep in mind, you're not getting any credit for this. And also, you're not making as much as Tom Brady, even though you're both taking pay cuts. So as long as you understand that that's the situation, I'm cool with it. He, what are you talking about? He is getting credit. We're just talking about him. We're talking about him. Everybody, every time this happens, everybody talks about how the quarterback restructured their contract. They ain't talking about the outside linebacker on the weak side taking a pay cut to remain with the team. They're not talking about that. They're talking about Brady. We are everybody. So if we're talking about it, everybody's talking about it. In Herm Edwards, I believe in you. You play to win the game. All right. Let's stop. Let's stop talking about this. All right. So let's stay in the NFL, but let's switch our focus over to the NFL draft. JT, this is going to talk about the draft every week until it happens. And and even after it happens, we're going to talk about it. It's one of the best times of the year. This is JT's favorite time. Oh, like you don't like the draft. He is so happy for months on end right now. So, <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the things that we're seeing here in the NFL draft, JT, is the potential of defensive players possibly sliding in the NFL draft. All right. It's a heavy quarterback class. So one of the the big questions coming up is are defensive players about to see a huge slide down the draft board come draft night? What do you think about it? I think they will. 
And I think the part of the reason is one, like you said, it's a quarterback heavy draft. And I think the quarterbacks are so valued this year, mainly because who are the quarterbacks next year? Like, what does the quarterback draft class look like next year? I actually talked with somebody about this this weekend, and they were asking me, you know, why are these quarterbacks, everybody's, you know, so uh, going crazy over them? I was like, because if you need a quarterback, whether it's this year or next year, you kind of have to get them this year because you might not get one next year. And guess what? The best quarterbacks that would be in the NFL draft, they're not even eligible for the next for next year's draft. Like, I think the kid uh, uh, DJ Uwalele might be the best quarterback that is draftable at Clemson. He's not available for what, two more years. So even Bryce Young at Alabama, we haven't seen him play. And he's probably better than whoever is going to be the number one quarterback prospect next year. So the fact that we don't know who that guy is next year already means somebody's going to have to play well in college football next year so that we can rank them as the number one quarterback. So that's why I think you're seeing the defensive players slide. And then also it's just crazy talented skill position players that are worth top 10 picks. Devonta Smith, you love, you think he's a top five pick Kyle Pitts tight end from Florida, another like once in a generation type guy. And you got Waddle, you got uh, Jamar chase, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So, <laughs> and then you got Penny Sewell. So all that in a, in a tackle, like you, I just don't see where you could value a defensive player in the top, let's say eight or nine this year with all those circumstances going on. So I, I, I disagree because a huge slide, no. And you're right. A lot of the reason why we'll see some of the players slide down on the defensive side is because of the strong quarterbacks, but also teams needing a quarterback. It's almost like that perfect combination. You have a Trevor Lawrence, you have a Justin Fields, you have a Zach Wilson, but guess what? Jacksonville's at the top. The Jets are at the top. Like these are teams that need quarterbacks. Need quarterbacks. So, and, if you, and if you need one and you're not there, you're moving up and finding a way to get there. Like the 49ers. Now, but this is the thing, JT, where I don't think it's going to be a huge slide because, yes, early on. Well, I'm just talking about, for me, what a slide would be that would be noticeable is they'll say that there's zero defensive players in the top 10. Okay, so I'm glad you, you defined it. I'm still going to disagree because this is the thing. In this draft, which there's maybe one, maybe two if we stretch it, defensive guys where you're like, you know what? You can't pass on them. Michael Parsons pass, you, and whichever whichever edge rusher you fall in love with. Or Patrick Sertain, the corner from Bama. That's what I was going to – the only two guys I could think of is Micah and um, – Sertain. Sertain. Sorry, I hit my microphone. That's such a rookie mistake. And I lost concentration. So Sertain, You right? have to admit all your mistakes on I, I do. I do. I feel guilty. So it's, it's Sertain or Micah. But again, JT, in a in – a, in a, Normal year without the quarterbacks, would you be sitting there saying, you know what, Mike is going to go number one or two? Sertan's a number oh, he's one a top or two five pick. Like if he put up the workout numbers that he did this year, and let's say it wasn't this crazy quarterback class, he'd be in top five, no, no doubt about it. See, but when's the last? What, what's he play inside linebacker? Uh, I think he could play anywhere. That's the point. But wh- when has a guy like him been that high lately? I mean, you act like there's a bunch of like 245 linebackers running four threes coming out. I mean, just look at the last year's draft. Okuda went number three. But again, okay, but it, was that a reach? See, a lot of people I thought, thought it that, was, but everybody see, knew they were that, taking them. But that's my point. So my definition is, no, they're not sliding. They're actually fitting in right where they should be. A slide to me would be someone reaches, and now well, all of a um, sudden. Let's call it when the top 10 last year too, right? Uh, was it Isaiah Simmons went to the Cardinals, I think, number but, seven. But again, they're not – they're being knocked. Even at the time, they were like, oh, we don't know how he's going to fit. Like, that's my whole point is this isn't a Mario Williams. This is not a Jadavion Clowney. This is not a LeVar Arrington where you're like, oh, my goodness, you can't – if he drops beyond number two, something's wrong. Well, let's Someone put it this has way. to trade up. If this, if this were next year's draft, Michael Parsons might be a top three pick. Sertain might be a top five pick. It, this is all because I'm telling you, like it's you only said, those you two guys, right? It's a perfect, it's a perfect storm. And well, also, too, I mean, you so don't. They're not sliding. Well, so you don't, you don't know. Like, is, a shoot, slide Jaylen is Jalen Phillips, who you love, like he had a crazy workout. He could be top ten if it were next year. Gregory Rousseau, another UM guy, like who's a who's a good player, could be a top ten. 
it's it's really hard to say like where they would be and then have these quarterbacks here. But is I will it, say this: I, in anybody anybody who is picking outside the top ten is going to have like really good players available. I mean, if you just if the only thing you don't need is a quarterback, I mean, there's some guys that should not be available at like 10 to 15 that will be this year. Right. And to be honest, I still think Jalen Phillips is a top 10 guy in this year's draft, but that's beside the point. But in terms of a slide, JT, I- I'm still saying no, because Laramie Tunzel, that was a slide. Aaron Rodgers. Oh, that was also a- <laughs> Hold on, hold on. Aaron Rodgers, that was a slide. These guys are going to fall right where they probably should be going. Right? All right. So sticking with that, you, you kind of, precursor to it do you think or will there be a defensive player that's taken in the top 10 in this draft now that we've mentioned a lot of the the different players and positions yeah because I think we both mocked um Patrick Sertain to the Cowboys so I think he'll be the one um sneaky we'll we'll put out our next mock draft on Monday but I don't know the Lions maybe changing course and getting Michael Parsons like yeah. that's that's the other one I'm I might lean toward as we get closer. Yeah, or I was gonna say Pars Micah Parsons possibly to the Broncos. We know they like defensive guys, but they, if they don't. If a quarterback is there, they need one. They might actually trade up with Atlanta but, to get one. But what I'm saying is, if that quarterback's not there, if Detroit maybe takes Mac Jones before it can fall, he can fall to Denver. You know, that's where maybe Micah Parsons. Who can, can I will go. say this. Whoever goes number three to the 49ers will determine if how many defensive players are at the top of this draft. Do you think it's that, or do you think it depends on what Atlanta does? I think it's that because let's real quick, let's say they take because the word on the street is they're gonna take Mac Jones. So if Mac Jones goes number three, then what I'm imagining is people trade up to the four and five because they're gonna get the other quarterbacks available. Because I think other than the 49ers, Mac Jones is like a distant fifth quarterback for most teams. So then you got Justin Fields and Trey Lance still on the board, who most people thought would be gone before the, the number five pick comes around. So Denver's trading up, and then whoever's that wild card that wants to trade up as well to get the other quarterback will do that. So if that happens, then I can see defensive players going in the top ten. I still think it depends on what Atlanta does. I think it depends but, on the 49ers. Because I don't think Denver passes on Mac Jones if he's there. So well, I don't I don't think well here's the thing, it depends. I think if Matt goes three, people are trading up to get the other two. I think if if but they would have Matt been, doesn't they go three, been gone anyway. I think the Broncos could wait till number what are they number nine to get him. See, see, that's that's why I don't agree because those guys would be gone anyway, because Detroit's snagging one and Nobody. possibly Atlanta. No, only the 49ers want to take and the Broncos maybe want to take Mac Jones in the top 10. So mm. that's just what I think. Anyway, let's. Uh, we don't want to take Mac Jones in the top ten. We wouldn't make that move. Who the Dolphins? No, me and you. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. It depend what what what. Bro, uh, if you took Mac Jones in the top ten, oh, why can't you make moves like this in fan? Like, actually, you do make these moves in fantasy. Wow. Okay. Enough. Enough. So many mock drafts, including JT's uh, and my own. And by the way, check out our mock draft 1.0 on instagram mine is better than his by the way um many mock drafts have the Bengals taking jamar chase over penne sewell now jt if that did happen would it be a mistake by the Bengals? this is tough <laughs> this is really really difficult because there's so many different things that go into play here. One, obviously, we saw Joe Burrow get busted up last year. Was the offensive line bad? Yes. But also, was he a rookie holding on to the ball too long, not getting down? Yes. Now, I'm assuming that because everybody's he, – he's the franchise. Like, Joe Burrow is the guy in Cincinnati. I'm assuming he's going to have some input in this number five pick. And if that's the case, I find it – really hard to argue that he's not going to management and saying oh the guy that I threw like 20 touchdowns to a couple years ago is available in this draft and everybody wants him I think we should go get him so I think that's playing into it honestly I I don't know because you you have made me doubt Penny Sewell as this like lock number five top five overall pick so 
I wanted him for the Dolphins. You said I wouldn't make that move. So is, is it safe to say, like, the Bengals should do the same thing? They should go get another stud skill player yep. and don't believe yep. the hype with Sewell? I, you know, Sewell, I, I don't want to knock him, but it, it's starting to bother me, and it bothered me with Gregory Rousseau, and you see it's hurting him now, and you disagreed with me, but I don't like guys taking a whole year. I, I understand COVID. Don't get me does wrong. It, do, I, do you I re- feel the same way about Michael Parsons? I respect the, their their decision. But it's hard to take a whole year off and have no contact and then all of a sudden come back and expect to just kick in, right? You're like, oh, you, your body has that year of rest. Yes, but it also misses the grind. Yeah, like, it's misses a year of repetition. Your, your body in this sport is not like a light switch. You can't just turn it on and off. That's you need the off season, but a year is too long. Look at look at Le'Veon Bell, and I know there's other circumstances. Look at Josh Gordon. Yeah, like – it's hard to do. And so, especially when they're that young, they weren't refining their game. And, and you're seeing Gregory Rousseau. You talk about sliding. He's sliding. Yeah, he might I be saw, like the number three edge rusher right now. He was he was a top five pick. Yeah. Like when this J- whole thing started. JT, no joke. I saw a mock draft today. They had him taken in the middle of the second round to the Browns. Oh, man. That is a slide. So it's not just Penesul not playing, but you look at Jamar Chase, I don't think it would be a mistake because I don't think you can go wrong. First, I don't think you can go wrong with either guy, but the Bengals always think they have offensive weapons going into a season. And then when they start playing... And then they get A.J. Green from last year. (laughs) Yeah, and like then they start playing and you're like, "Uh, who's their tight end? Tyler Eford? What? And then like, who's on the other side of A.J. Green? Like, yes, Boyd is developing. I like him a lot. Yeah, I like him a lot. But then it's like, you know, they're always waiting for that running back, whether it was Jeremy Hill or or now it's Mixon. Like, go Ooh. get go get your stud quarterback, franchise quarterback, the weapons. And Jamar Chase is perfect because he played with them already. LSU guy. Like, and this is the other reason why I don't want to go Penny Sewell if I'm the Bengals. Ooh. They need, they still, like one lineman, one offensive lineman can't fix a unit. Well, well, you know, Jamar you know Chase can make up for different mistakes on offense. You brought you brought up a really good point, and that was going to be another thing that I was going to talk about. I feel like here's the thing: if they take Penay Sewell at number five, I don't really think it's to help Joe Burrow. If anything, it's going to help Joe Mixon because they just can't run the ball. That's why but, they have to throw the, it so much. But, but I feel like if you if you want to protect him, you can do that with picks in other rounds. But they also what they got Riley Reef. And free agency, so he's coming in. They got the kid from Alabama who's been injured, but he was a first-round pick. He's going to come back. They got another center, I think they took in the first round, that got injured. So they got high you know, draft capital linemen coming back. And I think Penny Sewell just fixes Joe Mixon running the ball better than it fixes maybe keeping Joe Burrow together for another season. But I don't know. I'm really torn on this because I think if it's up to the quarterback, he's going to say pick Jamar Chase because like that's basically how he had his breakout season. Yeah, and you you just you actually even convinced me more to take Jamar Chase. You've already invested free agency and all this draft capital offense alignment. How many more do you want? I listen, but, you know me. But are they but beside the, the thing, quarterback? Besides the, the quarterback, the Bengals, that is hold on. Besides the quarterback, that's one of the that's the most important position. Offensive line, you got to be able to run, protect. But at some point, you got to say, you know what? Just like the Steelers with cornerbacks, you know what? Let's go out of free agency and get them because we obviously can't draft them. So let's go get skill positions. Yeah, but also too, are we sure the guys they've drafted are good? Like, do we know Jonah Williams is good? Do we know was it so Billy Price? The, do we know he's good? And then I'll throw it right back on you, JT. Then how do you know Penny Sewell's the answer? Well, he's healthy <laughs> for now because he hasn't played. Yeah, I. So, so bottom line, you think it's going to be Chase or Sewell? Chase. That's why I put him in the mock draft. All right, and it should be Chase. I think it's going to be Chase just because everyone who has way more access to information than we do says it's going to be him. Oh, what do you mean? We got inside info. We got to act like to the fans. Yeah, but they we got, got like that inside, inside info. the VIP. We're like inside the club. They're inside like the VIP. They got that information. They, they got the table service. The All right. So, service. <laughs> um, so we're going to start doing this uh, every show up into the draft. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to be giving our top five for each position in the draft. So today we're going to be doing receivers and cornerbacks. 
So uh, we're going to give our top five, just, you know, a little bit on why we like those guys at those spots. And then we'll post them. We'll see how, what you think. But uh, I'm pretty sure you want to start with receivers because we kind of already got into a little heated debate over Jamar Chase on air and off air. But uh, give me your number five uh, receiver prospect in the draft. I've got Jalen Waddle. Um, down at number five. Wow. Yep. He, I just don't think he played enough games to, to convince me. And I, I don't know. I think it helped the Ed Devonte Smith on the other side, man. Devonte Smith's my guy. So Jalen Waddle, number five. Um, oh, also too, if you want to, you can give a player a comparison. So that's something I'll throw out there too. Um, this was tough. Cause there's a lot of good receivers in this draft, man. Uh, I don't love him, but I think he just seems like a top five receiver. Um, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. I mean, he's big. He's fast. If you rewind the clock to the beginning of the football season, he was probably like a top two or three receiver prospect. They're like saying he's a lot to go in the first round. He just looks like like a Keenan Allen type receiver to me. Like he'll come in, run good routes. He'll be ready. He doesn't need to improve much in his game. I actually have him at number four. You go back, like you said, you go back and look at the 2019 film. Dude, the guy's making plays. Um, I think I think he can possibly play the outside receiver in the NFL. So I, I've got him at number four, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. All right. So for number four, I got Rondell Moore from Purdue. I, this might come back to bite me. I'll make this caveat. When he's healthy – He's probably the most explosive playmaker in college football. I mean, crazy what he did a couple years ago. I mean, what he run like a, a sub four three forty. I mean, that's insane. He just he reminds me of like a mix between Steve Smith and Tyreek Hill. Like, if he's healthy, maybe the fastest guy on the field. He can do it probably with the short passes, long passes, handoffs. He'll be a weapon for sure. So, Ronda Moore. All right, let me let me go back to I believe it was our college preview show 2019 season, JT. So after he came off the breakout season. Yep. Remember I picked him. I think he was my dark horse. Like Heisman win. And he but he, he was a bust. <laughs> <laughs> the lights were out all year Jeez. for him. Like, nope, not putting him in my top five. So number three, Tylen Wallace. Um, I, I like what he can do. I think he's going to be kind of a sneaky pick. So I've got him as far as number three. Number three. Wow. Uh, number three, I got Jalen Waddle. Um, you forget. You want to talk about rewinding the clocks. When he was healthy, I mean, are you sure he goes over – he doesn't go over Smith and Chase? I mean, Waddle, when healthy, is explosive, man. So I know he's hurt. Somebody's going to get him at a discount. But people still got him going in the top ten. So I can't – I can only have him as low as three. See, it always worries me when you're always explosive. He's always making these acrobatic catches deep downfield. Like the dude's not Randy. Oh yeah, Moss. we hate it when that happens. Well, no, we hate what our I, receivers to what be I'm, explosive no, and acrobatic. What, I agree with you though. No, what I'm saying is the guy's not Randy Moss. So if that's the only thing he can do, guess what? They can scheme you defensively but to also, stop that in the but NFL. Also, too, the reason why I have him in the top three is he's a good return man too. Okay. I'll give you that, but Devontae Smith was the better returner on that team. Yeah, he's also was healthy. Another point of why I got Jalen Waddle number five. All right, cool. You got two. Jamar Chase, Knew of it. course. <laughs> from LSU. I mean, you got to put him. You got, I mean, he's got to be one or two. I've got him as number two because you know, you already know who I got as number one. Yeah, I got Devonta Smith as number two. Complete package, Hater. but I'm still I'm still Hater. going back to the same thing that scares me. He's just small. But you've, like I said, you've talked me to come around on his size not being an issue. I'm going to hope he's more Marvin Harrison than Ted Ginn. Yeah, he's, he's going to be better than Marvin Harrison. Ooh, okay, so Hall of Famer breaking. Hall uh, of Famer. Breaking Put it on the board. season record for receptions. All right. Start fitting him for his yellow jacket. All right. So, so number, I'm pretty number, Number one is different. So I got Jamar Chase. You got Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith. Listen, give me give me your best pitch for him being number one. Tell me something you haven't told me yet. Okay. Well, listen. No doubt, he's my guy. He he can just do it all. JT, the guy is a winner. He's in there. Look at look at who he had to battle over the years to make his name. And that's the thing we forget. 
this guy was making plays early in his career in Alabama. With rugs and and with Judy. Rugs, yeah. Judy like, and they still had Waddle. And then he was still making plays. And I remember, I believe he was a freshman, maybe only a sophomore. But I remember seeing him and saying, even with Ruggs and Judy, you know how much I like Judy. He's special. I was always, I was always saying, this guy's special. This guy is going to change the game for them. And he, he did it. And again, what sets him apart is punt returns. He is going to change games with his punt returning ability if the NF, if whatever team drafts him, puts him as a punt returner. All right. Um, I like Devonta Smith a lot. The fact that I'm putting him number two, if you're listening, don't don't take it as I hate him. I I want I'm I want to put him number one, but I'm just going Jamar Chase because he just feels safer. I mean, he's big, fast, physical. You saw the workout he just put on in his pro day. He and also, too, I feel like he can play inside and out in the NFL probably a little bit more than Devonta Smith can. Like he could be a dominant slot. He can go out on the edge. And like I think he's better built for the NFL game. He's like a mix between like Anquan Bolden and like Antonio Brown for me. I like I think he has like that kind of ability. So, you know. I've started to not fall in love with the numbers anymore in the combine. I mean, yeah, throw them you, out. Who needs forties, verticals, bench I press? Mean, I get you. I'm not saying they're irrelevant, but people but, just see a sub, you know, a four three, and they're like, "Oh, he's a first round receiver. Hey, like, I, can he catch? Can he I run around? I agree can with you. With this? I, w- I will say this: if let's say if they if if they had no pro days, no combine this year at all, right? Look at the film. Not even Bonte the film. Smith. Like I just saw. I just saw chase running routes against air and i saw devonta smith running routes against air and like devonta smith just moves like and it's no wasted motion like he is gone and it's like it's it's he looks different on tape i'm telling you the only issue i have is in the nfl everybody's fast and everybody's big so i just got it like if he holds up first couple seasons i'll I'll be glad to kick everyone else off this list and just put him number one i just can't get over how small he is so, listen, I understand that concern, but like I said, don't worry. He's elusive. It's going to be hard to get a clean shot on him. Barry you Sanders, always say you can't hit, but you can't catch. There you go. But there in the NFL, more can, people can catch you than in college. Can, can, I don't know if you wrote this down. I'll throw it at you. I apologize if you don't have an answer. Is there kind of a guy kind of laying in the weeds, kind of that Chase Claypool guy that's a second day maybe kind of guy that you could say hey he could be a difference maker do you have one of those like dark horse guys oh absolutely and i hope the dolphins get him um is it armand armand st brown from usc from usc i like him a lot man like you forget yeah high recruit coming to usc he really balled out with no quarterback michael Pittman jr was a teammate what last year two years ago and i thought he was outplaying him and Pittman went in the second round to the colts so St. Brown, if you can get him in the second or third, I think he'll be he'll outplay some of the guys on this list. Maybe. I had I, I was thinking about him, but then I was like, ah, maybe it's too too much of a flashy flashy pick because he played at USC and is you know everyone knows him. So I kind of went a little bit of the opposite. That guy that maybe not too many people have heard of or they forgot, Sage Surratt of Wake Forest oh, yeah. JT. He was a first. I didn't even remember this, or I don't even know this. He was a first team all ACC in 2019. There oh, was yeah, a lot of good a receivers. Of right? There's yeah. a lot of good. He's 6'3", 215. He's got the size. He's physical. And what I've heard about him, again, I didn't watch too many Wake Forest games, I must admit. His ball tracking ability in catching the ball, going up and getting it, Gotta love it. So he he's kind of that dark horse receiver for me to look for in the second day, possibly. All right. Third all day, right. maybe. All right. Anybody else you want to throw in there? Nah, we good. We good. We covered it all. <laughs> all right. So let's let's flip the script and let's go to the guys that are going to be covering them, the corners. Uh, number five. I've got your uh your alma mater, UCF, Aaron Robinson. I feel like people tend to forget about, about him. I've got him as number five, man. He's he he could be something. He can play. He can play. Yeah, UCF always has good corners. Um, starting with uh, was it Joe Burnett? I remember that's like the first corner that kind of broke through, and then after that, they started putting him in the league. Uh, number five, uh, Greg Newsom the second, Northwestern, big corner, and plus I got to go with somebody that was good enough to go to IMG. That means he was a stud at one point. Somebody thought he was good. 
Uh, I've got I've got Greg Newsom from Northwestern at number at number four actually. So I've I've got him a, a step up from where you've got him. All right, uh, number four, I got uh, Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky. Now I don't think he's as fast as the other guys that are like at the top of this list, but I think he's got good ball skills. But also, people forget he used to play at LSU. So, like I said, somebody once upon a time thought he was good. <laughs> so, and he played the SEC. He was good at Kentucky. So. I, I got to think that counts for something. Yeah. At number three, I've got the guy that you mentioned, Caleb Fairley. Um, or is it Farley? Do you know? It's spelled uh, Fairley. No, it's Fairley. That's I'll, how go, I say it. I'll go Caleb. Caleb Fairley. I've got him number three, uh, Virginia Tech. You know, I'm not, it's not tough, sold. JT. I'm not sold. I put not him sold. at number three because the, the other guys, is. I don't, the name, yep, and you hear everyone talk about him, and I don't know the other guys quite as well that's outside of the top five on my list. So I'm only going to put him at number three. Here's the thing. My number three is, I'll admit, I didn't get to see him as much, and I've really been getting to see a lot of his tape and watch his pro day like since the season has ended. I really like my number three. If if I wasn't in love with my number one so much, he would be my number one. And it's it's JC Horn from South yep. Carolina. I was gonna say the same thing. Yep. 6'1, 205, big physical, fast as hell. And he's got like the, the swagger confidence. He had a um a press conference, I think a couple weeks ago, and they were asking him, like, how would you feel if you don't go in the first round? And you know what he said? He said, It don't matter if they take me in the first round or the seventh round. Guess what? If they take me in the seventh round or if I'm undrafted, I'm going to have to show up to camp and they're going to have to see why they made a mistake. I'm going to have to go out there and ball either way. And I'm going to show them that I'm a first round pick. Just the confidence. Like he just said it with like a, like a killer, cold, just calm face. And I was like, that dude's ready for battle. And like he's got the physical skills to do it. I like him a lot. And I think he's we're talking about defensive players sliding. Somebody going to get a good player with him like mid to late first round. I've got him number two, all the reasons you said, and he's physical, play, can play at the line, which I think you're going to need in the NFL. His size is great. I've heard that he's very smooth for a, a big cornerback, which yeah. you don't always get. You talk about comparables, right? Who can you compare to in the NFL? Oh, I got one. Is, is Jalen Ramsey too far-fetched for this guy? I think Jalen Ramsey might be too much. You know who he reminds me of? Because I feel like he has that mentality. He has that competitive spirit in him. He does. I don't think he's as, like, athletic, theatrical as Jalen Ramsey. You know who he kind of really reminds me of? A guy that nobody really thinks about. But if you go look at the tape and ask receivers in the league that have to go against him, is James Bradbury. Like, big, fast. Like, he can take you out of the game, and he's quiet. Mm. Like, Bradbury is a top, what, six corner, and he's built just like this dude. Yeah. So who so who do you have at number two? Uh Kayla Fairley. Okay. I'm okay. I'm willing to bring him down too. Like like you said, he's been the top corner or number one or two for a while. Uh he's big though. He was six two, two hundred plus. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing with him. I actually think he'd probably be a better safety, or if they put him in a scheme like how the Seahawks had Richard Sherman, like in that that thirds where he covers like his one side of the field. I think if you do that, I think he will live up to where like the draft people are putting him. But if you just got to put him on an island and say, hey, like go cover somebody, I don't think he can do that. Got you, got you. So we both have Patrick Sertain. I'm surprised you put him number one because you have been saying how he's overrated since I've been talking him up. Because you didn't even say, we did something on like corners before and you were like, no, he's not the best. We did. Well, you know, I went back and looked. You looked at the game film? No. <laughs> the film don't lie. No, I went back and looked at all the other corners, and I still feel, okay, he is the top of the top in terms of the corners. But J.C. Horn, he's he's coming for certain. He, it's like J.C. Horn physically is what I want. The only reason he's not number one is just I think Patrick Sertain is just he's already complete like he's ready for the NFL like he's got he's big he's fast he's physical but like he has the best technique out of any of these corners like you can tell playing at Bama like he's ready like he played as a freshman he was like probably one of their best DBs 
And then you just can't, you know, discount the bloodlines. His dad played in the NFL was damn good. So, well, like, he knows how to play the position. Well, Bama had to play him early on, JT, because if they did it, he was, ne- he was never going to go there. There must have been an understanding, yes, if you I come. Mean, also, he was you're, good, though. You're playing. I agree. But J.C. Horn, where, where, what school did he go to? South Carolina. Okay, SEC, right? He played against the same competition. And, in fact, he didn't have as good of a defense in front of him of the front seven. So Sertain didn't have to cover as long as a guy like J.C. Horn would. And, in fact, again, J.C. Horn had to go against Bama receivers when Sertain, yes, he was doing it in practice, but uh, or, no, we don't, we don't get to Sertain, see what he did in practice. My, or my was dude Devontae, so good in coverage my, that Bama had all day to rush? My, day, my dude, Devontae Smith, we don't know. He could have been torching uh, uh, Sertain in practice. We don't know. All right. So that's going to conclude another episode of JT and the Dom. But before we go, JT, got to give you the useless info for the day. Useless sports info for the day. Everything you say is useless sports info. I got an hour of that, so I'm good for this week. Good. Nikola Jokic just passed Wilt Chamberlain for the most 10 assist games by a center with 81 now like ever or in a seat what ever yeah damn yeah yep mvp sorry like debate me (laughs) no not you anybody i know i know we're on the same page with this anybody well we'll save that mvp we'll save that toward the end of the nba we got basketball we got time we got time we got time so fans and listeners out there thank you again for listening to another episode of JT and the Don. You guys are the best. JT, great episode. And for the listeners out there, remember to please subscribe to us, JT and the Don, all sports podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, Leave us a five-star review. And also, please follow us on social media. Our handle, JT and the Don. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, JT, until the next episode, see you. Peace.